0: The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. everyone and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show for another Sunday morning. My name is Chloe Foster and with me in the studio today I have Greg Boldiston, bulb expert and fun guy, Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery and Jack Semler, horticulturalist and author of Super Bloom. Welcome team. Morning Chloe. Good morning. It's a full studio. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: It yeah, is good, good morning. It's so great to be in here. And it was a little bit stormy coming in, or it looked a little bit stormy. Oh yeah, thunderstorms
2: last night, but it was uh, pretty clear all the way in from the north, sort of west, anyway. Um, but yeah, it was. It, there was a bit of rain and, and a few rumbles of thunder last night, which was nice. I don't think it really did anything we amazing. Had,
1: we had quite a lot of rain. Oh, good. Yeah, several hours.
2: Because it dried out really quickly the last few weeks, like it went mm. from such mm. a wet season to like everything's dying.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was talking about that at work the other day and yeah. all of a sudden everything's just gotten really dry. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: absolutely. It's just after that La Nina season that we had, it's just completely dried out. So, yeah, we got a bit of rain on the peninsula as well and yeah. I have to say it was very welcome. Yeah. <laughs> but, but
1: you know what? The, the drying out process is important for soil health. Mm. Um, it opens it up, aerates it, mm. Yeah. The, the, the cracks are good. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think stressing out plants a little, little bit yeah. is actually really good for them long-term as well, especially mm. trees and long-term plants. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, the, like if you're looking at watering something, especially in the drier seasons, a little bit regularly isn't as good as some deep watering less often and let the plants stress out a little bit because they get their tap roots down a bit better and sort of uh, establishes them a little bit better. Would you agree, Craig? I would. That? Yeah. Yeah. yeah um there's there's uh forest glade for instance for many years did very light watering regularly and if you miss the watering like you know mullus that were 40 50 60 years old would just wilt within a day and so we've been trying to change how that's been happening for you know 30 or 40 years to actually trying to give longer waters less regularly and letting the plants stress out a little bit, then giving them a deep water. Yeah, yeah three, four and,
1: hours once a month.
2: Yeah, yeah, or, or even – but more than 30 minutes a day or every second day or something because that just – especially in a big garden, it doesn't mm. work. The water yeah. barely gets to the ground uh, yeah. after 30 minutes, yeah. Yeah,
3: we do the same thing even at Heartland, our own garden, just having those deep penetrative waters, mm. even for things like herbaceous perennials. It really does make a difference to mm-hmm. their resilience over time. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think it's it's really important. Um, but, yeah, it's a surprise to see how quickly that top groundwater dried mm. out because it was mm. real wet <laughs> for a while. Yeah, totally <laughs> wet.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we lost a lot of plants actually in yeah. the spring last year, which was a bit of a surprise. I feel like over time we're going to have to get used to these cycles of extremes, like mm-hmm. lots of water, not much water, and it's really interesting to see what plants survive in both.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting too. You get Um, like a ten-year drought, you can nurse a plant through ten years of drought, but if there's too much rain, yeah, things just like they're gone. Nothing you can do about it. No, no, it's (laughs) it's already dead before you realize. Sometimes, absolutely,
3: we've noticed that with some um, more shrubs as well. Like it's already too late before you start seeing those symptoms. So I'm sure a lot of our readers would, um, listeners would relate to that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, you know, yeah, I, I don't have any objection to dry at this time of the year. I think it's very normal. It's necessary, yeah. Mm. It's, tiring, yeah.
0: yeah. it's the end of summer. Well. Right. Veg, it's yeah. the
1: driest time of the year. Don't let your yeah. veggies dry out,
0: though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do know people that will stress out their veggies as seedlings before they put them in. Have yeah, you heard okay. of
1: that? Dry them out in pots.
0: Yeah, dry, stress them out somehow. So dry them out or leave them in the seedling container for quite a while before they plant it I out. I do that, yeah. but I, that's just because I'm lazy <laughs> <in the accident>. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Me too. I've, I definitely know about that with tomatoes. Like you yes. don't want to overwater tomatoes. You know, you want that more concentrated flavour sometimes. Mm. So, mm. you know, managing your water with t- tomatoes really does have an effect on their taste. Mm.
1: This is in the ground or in pots?
3: In, in the ground. In the ground, Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's um,
2: the uh, it, it, as I was saying before with uh, forest glade uh, watering too too uh, often and not enough water each time. Even just in a couple of years, you can see the difference mm. in the longer watering times that we're sort of trying to get them. Yeah, yeah. But it's also with some of these watering systems because uh, a lot of it's on. Um, uh, like computerised automatic watering systems, it's really hard to organise that that part of the garden needs two hours, not 20 minutes, and the lawn doesn't need that. The lawn needs a little bit more. Um, mm. It's a shame we have to waste so much water on the grass, but, um, yeah, you need open spaces in big gardens that open to the public co- constantly. You, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it a seems like such a waste of water.
1: Disapproving, look from me, watering lawn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But, but it is necessary, but... Uh, yeah. Um, it, it's it's good to see the plants already responding after yeah. so long of having these short water cycles.
1: What's the method of distribution? Is
2: it however we can? It's, it's usually above ground sprinklers, okay. um, and we're swapping out a lot of the old butterflies and spitters for wobble tea, yeah. which. I reckon give a better watering, um, and especially agree. when you're doing long time, to- like like yeah. a three or four hour water instead of like a thirty minute water. Yeah, yep. the wobble teas are much more gent more gentle and. Uh more like rainfall, I guess. Yeah, I found them, and
3: the wobble teas—they seem to have a bit more of an even distribution, yes. as well. Yeah. Like there seems to be something about that design that you get a better distribution and better penetration mm. over time. Yeah, yeah.
2: You don't get that uh, drip line edge at the end of, edge of the sprinkler system, or the big puddle of water where the actual—you oh, get that a little bit, I guess. But uh, as you say, the the overall spread of the wobble tea seems to be much better.
3: Yeah, I agree.
1: You know, I like the brown drippler under the mulch.
3: Yeah, that's great for permanent plantings, yeah. isn't it?
1: Yeah.
3: Right to the roots.
1: That's right. And none's wasted. There's no evaporation. Yeah.
2: Mm. yeah. It's a
1: bit hard to do that on 15 acres. <laughs> you
3: need a lot of pipe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <sure.
2: laughs> and, and because there's quite a few of us working there, you'd be replacing a lot of pipe every time someone had to weed out a garden bed and didn't know where all the pipes were. Yep. Oh, um, yeah, I'm
3: guilty of that in constant. my own garden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Putting another load of plants in and before you know it, um, yeah. you've already put the, the fork through another bit of pipe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You just take the, 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 the repair kit with you. Mm. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Do you
1: find they block up that brown one? I haven't had such an issue with that. Okay. Yeah. yeah no,
2: there's a couple of places I've had. I, I, I've got a soft spot for the recycled car tyre stuff that just weeps from all the pores. Yep, 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 yep. yep. I reckon that's the mm-hmm. better option than, like the, than the brown well. stuff. Because yeah. um, I always find, especially when you're first planting with the brown pipe, if you don't get one of the drippers right on your little plant, you've got to go and hand water it anyway for, for, for a while where that, mm-hmm. the, the old recycled tyre stuff just sort of weeps from every part of it. Yep. Mm. Uh, it's a little bit easier to plant with. But they're very good in veggie patches, those brown ones. You mm, so can mm. plant on the actual dripper lines and, or in between them or whatever they need um, so that they're a lot better, I reckon, for like growing flower crops and veggies where you've got everything in little neat rows. And <laughs> and
0: they're good space indicators too because yeah, they're yeah. evenly spaced. So for veggie patches, yeah. you can get your spacings.
2: So I've got them in a polytunnel um, mm. and I know how far apart to plant things and... Uh, uh, and as you say, the, the applying water straight to the surface is much more efficient,
1: and mm-hmm. it's getting the water where you need it a bit better. And yeah, long acres we well, we'll almost do no watering. I, I really just do with a bucket of things mm. that have just been put in. But the owner gets a bit panicky on a hot day when the hydrangeas start drooping and <laughs> drags the sprinklers out. But yeah. Completely unnecessary, oh, yeah, really. yeah. You, can have, you can have a hydrangea submerged
2: in water on a hot day and it'll still work. That's right. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, let's get to some community announcements and open up the phone lines. I've got a few announcements this morning. A reminder for Open Gardens Victoria that... The that Karen's Garden is open this weekend, so it's open today as well from 10am till 4.30. It's 9 Brandon Close in Brighton. Uh, formal entrance in the front garden and then some little surprises to a tra- very tranquil, tranquil space out the back. Uh, $10 for adults, $6 for students and under 18s free for all Open Gardens Victoria Gardens a reminder that they've got a couple of uh, online events coming up as well. The first one was on Thursday night, the 1st of 3, Simon Ricard is running some three online pruning and training deciduous fruit trees masterclass uh over the course of three sessions once a month. So the first one was this Thursday just gone. And I missed it, but apparently I can go back onto the website, pay my fees, and have access to Thursday night's session. He talks about espaliering and regular um, pruning of fruit trees, when to do it, how to do it. It would be absolutely valuable for anyone that has fruit trees. And they've got a Day Out with Dahlia's event coming up as well. If you want more information on the OGV events, jump onto their website. It's opengardensvictoria.com.au. They're amazing supporters of our gardening show. And the K- Karen's Garden is open today until 4.30 at 9 Brandon Close in Brighton. The Friends of Geelong Botanic Gardens have negotiated some special opportunities for members of Geelong Gardens to travel uh, within the Botanica plant tours. They've got three, uh, Singapore, Lord Howe Island and New Zealand, all running at different points this year. Um, If you book through Botanica Travel and are a member of the Geelong Botanic Gardens, which I'm sure membership for that is probably about 25 $30 $30 a year um, and you'll probably save a fair bit of money booking that way so that's Singapore Lord Howe Island and New Zealand if you would like more e- more information email info at travel, or jump it onto the Friends of Geelong Botanic Gardens website they've also got a plant sale coming up on the 4th of March
3: and that is awesome I have to say definitely go to that
0: yeah i mean those tours would be incredible
3: yeah yeah the plan sale especially like their range of pelargoniums. we were just talking about that before oh sorry God. to interrupt but <laughs> That's um, all right. i love that plant sale <laughs>
0: <laughs> they've got some pretty they've got a pretty good range of stuff there uh the herb and chili festival is coming up on the 18th and 19th of march if you are into super spicy things uh Herb and Chili Festival is being held at Larkman's Nurseries at Quail Road in Wandon. We'll have more information for that over the next couple of weeks, but it's on the 18th and 19th of March. If you want to pop it into your diary, there's cooking demonstrations, um, many different chili and herb growers. Uh, it's going to be, a, and there's music as well. It's going to be a really fun weekend. So 18th and 19th of March. I'm not going in any particular order here. I do, I do apologize, listeners. Um, this weekend, the State Daily Show is still running, so it's the last day today, 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. at the Mount Waverley Community Centre. If you want to just go and get absolutely oversensitized by some beautiful dahlia flowers, uh, that's on today. So that's 47 Miller Crescent, Mount Waverley. And I have one more. Um, Garden Relief is happening again this year. Um, it raises, it, it, it gets involved local nurseries by participating in Garden Relief Day and raises money for a number of different charities around. Um, this year they're raising money for the Mitochondria Foundation uh, if you want to get involved or find out more information on garden relief day go to www.gardenrelief and that's and i must open up the phones to our listeners call us if you have any questions or conundrums that you want to chat about the number is 94190155 to go on air if you want to send us a text message, the number is 0488 809855. If you're podcasting or you have some photos of a plant that you want to send us, you have to send it via email. We can't get images via the text line. So our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. But give us a call, the lines are open. Nine four one nine zero one double five, And I've just got a message through that I said the wrong website for Open Gardens Victoria. It's opengardensvictoria.org.au. Thank you to the person who corrected me.
2: Just one other thing that's in, say, four weeks, about four weeks, but I won't be back here before then, <laughs> um, is the competitive flower show that the Mount Macedon Hort run every year. Um, so I've been the, the show manager since I was 17. So I think it's nearly 30 years I was now. I say, just
0: a couple of years. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little show and it's not that competitive and it's a bit of fun for some of the locals and you can come and visit on the Sunday. So the judging and all the official stuff happens on the Saturday mm-hmm. and then Sunday it's just open to the public. Um, And there's probably other things to look at at Mount Macedon,
0: absolutely. Um,
2: But if you're up there on that weekend, and I think let me just check the dates again. I think it's the uh, first and second of April. Mm -hmm. So that it's open on the Sunday, the second of April. Um, And yeah, it's just a nice little community event. Mm. And so if you're up that way, drop into the hall. It's gold coin donation. And yeah, there's always something interesting in there, as well as a heap of dahlias and roses Mm
0: -hmm. and hydrangeas. do you do uh, vegetables? Yeah, it's comps? usually
2: uh, so. In a, in a good year, we've had some rough years, but uh, in a good year, there's usually a whole bunch of massive pumpkins and marrows and yep. blackberries and all sorts of things.
0: Yeah,
2: um, there's usually a whole bunch of hydrangeas, although that depends on the season as well. And it is actually a really good the the, the flower show because it's usually on pretty much the same weekend. It's a really good indication of what season we've had Mm -hmm. because you can see what – like one year you'll have Mm -hmm. heaps of belladonnas and then you won't see them for five years because they're too early or too late or uh, whatever, and same with noreens and gladiolus and things like that. Um, But, yeah, there's some there's always usually dahlias and roses and and hideys generally, and the fruit and veggies can vary from drought years to I'm hoping this year might be a decent year for for our local veggie growers and they'll be – And there's also really uh, amazing kids' entries as well, Uh, like novelty made from anything that grows and, you know, garden and tray and things like that. Um, And it's always – there's always a surprise, something that's really delightful in in amongst that stuff too, Uh, like caterpillars and uh, just trying to figure out what they are often. Good fun uh, yeah. in some of the kids' entries. So yeah, it's
0: oh, that sounds fantastic. That's, and that's I mean, go make a day out of it. Stephen Stephen Ryan will have his nursery it's open. Out there. Forest glade will, will be open.
2: Yeah, um and it's it's uh getting into the autumn time up there, which mm. is pretty popular. So there's <laughs> often a lot of people up there, especially on the weekends. But it's uh it's probably the competitive show is one of the quieter places to be. On a Sunday in autumn at Mount Macedon.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That's good. Thanks for letting us know that, Greg.
3: Thanks. Jack? Um, Also, like, we're almost at the end of the month of February and that reminds me, like, Mad March is just around the corner or what we often refer to March as a bit mad in the horticultural world because we've got the Melbourne Flower and Garden Show at the end of March. Mm -hmm. And then we've also got the Australian Landscape Conference on the 17th of March as well, which is bringing an array of international designers to our shores for two days of conferences and some different masterclasses as well so um, they're two things that are really great to look out for you can already pre-book tickets for the Melbourne Flower and Garden Show and I believe that there's still some tickets left for the Australian Landscape Conference so if that's right up your alley if you're interested in what's happening um, it's an amazing conference to go and learn about design, uh, landscape architecture, all different kinds of things are happening.
0: Mm. And they're running some really good day trips for that as well.
3: Yeah, there's some garden day trips down to the coast and also in the city looking at what Australian design is at the moment. And there's also some really fabulous masterclasses too. So Claire Farrell and John Rayner at the Melbourne Um, University of Melbourne are running this really interesting one based on their Woody Meadow project as well so if you want to like do a bit of professional development skill up in different ways this is a really wonderful conference to go to full of interesting ideas.
0: What are the dates for those again? So it's from
3: the 17th of March for the uh, Australian Landscape Conference and the Melbourne Flower and Garden Show. It's- oh, I'm testing you
0: there. The, oh. gar- the Flower and Garden shows the end of March, so the Landscape yes. Conference is mid-March. So Mid-March, yeah.
3: Definitely look it out online. You yeah. can Google both and um, get some more details yeah. there. I'm going
0: to do a little shameless self-plug. Uh, I've been working on a podcast series with the Diggers Club and listeners will know Tim Sansom that comes in here. The first episode of that podcast was released this week, and the next, then the coming episodes are going to be released weekly. After that, it's called the Diggers Foundation podcast, and the concept for the first series is called Eucalypts, Friend and Foe. So, I've been interviewing, uh, I've been um, mediator for a lot of different ideas and opinions and knowledge around eucalypts and bushfire management, land management. Uh, So the first episode with, again, 3CR's very own Jeremy Francis was released this week. It's available on any podcast app. Uh, There's a link for it on the Diggers website as well. So the Diggers Foundation podcast, Eucalypt's friend and foe. If you just can't get enough of listening to me every few Sunday mornings, you can go (laughs) and listen to a podcast. I have been interviewing absolutely fascinating, knowledgeable people over the last little while and it's been so inspiring and so much fun to do. So
3: um, give it a listen if you want to. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Like, that sounds really great. Congratulations, Chloe. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's very exciting. And it's such a – sometimes eucalypts are so controversial in different (gasps) ways. So I imagine that (laughs) that it might have been a bit extreme. But I can't wait to listen to this. I think it's going to be so fascinating to hear all those different perspectives.
0: Yeah, uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun to hear the different perspectives and I've interviewed people that really know what they're talking about. So, yeah, um, yeah working with diggers, come up with a list of real utter professionals and very knowledgeable mm. for what we've been talking about. So it was fantastic. Um, the episode with Jeremy that's just come out has been, I mean, I got him in his absolute wheelhouse of information talking about what he used to what he saw growing up in a farm in WA mm. and the land management practices there versus how the Dandenongs has been managed since he's been there
1: mismanaged <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that's a more better term. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and how WA versus Victoria has historically managed or mismanaged uh, our our natural areas Victoria we could do better We could do so much better. And we've seen that. Understatement, I think. Yeah, and we've seen that with the extreme bushfires Mm. that we've been having. So, uh, yeah, check that out. The Diggers Foundation podcast, um, there's going to be six episodes in the series and Jeremy Francis was the first one up.
2: The podcasts are so good. Like it's um, the only, before podcasts, the only place you could talk like long uh, form about a really interesting subject was community radio
3: mm. and
2: it's really good that 3CR do podcasts like for the, for the garden show yeah um and yeah podcasts you can just get amazing information from people who really want to tell you about it rather than they're trying to sell you something yeah i'm sh- there's lots of podcasts out there that are trying to sell you something as well like bone broth or whatever <laughs> but um <laughs> but it's still if you know where to look for them there's some amazing podcasts out there
3: and about could- all sorts of things how good are they when yeah. you're gardening as well, or doing yeah. a whole load of propagation? You can just put in the earbuds yeah. and just listen to a great conversation about plants. It yeah. can't get any better, can it? Like no, it's, plants it's, at your fingertips and plants in It's per- the years. perfect yeah. form
2: of, uh, in, uh, yeah, ingesting information yeah. of any sort. Because uh, uh, I listen to a lot of geology and astronomy podcasts as well. Yeah, and it's just to be able to have access to people who know and love what they're talking about and are allowed to talk about it the way they want to talk about it rather than being forced into a five-minute block between Mm -hmm. commercials or whatever else it is. So go out and listen, especially to podcasts like the one you've just done, Chloe, and and people that are doing it because they love to do it. Mm. um, Support those people because that's really important and it's the best way you can get that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have all the commercial uh, part of it uh, yeah. constantly down there and you can fast forward it if it is there <laughs> it's just perfect yeah the perfect form to to uh, get information in i reckon
0: i listen to a lot of the sciencey based ones too and just being able to listen to a professional talking about again their wheelhouse mm. Um, there's one of my favourites. I mean, we could speak for us to show about favourite podcasts, but Ologies, it's a science based yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. And she interviewed an Australian, I can't remember her name, an Australian um, paleobotanist about conifers. I think I heard that one. The yeah. So episode came out mid or late last year. Yeah. And it was just fantastic yeah. listening to this woman talk about.
2: And you've got to remember too that uh, gardening is made up more than just botany. Like if you're going to listen, if you're going to learn more about gardening, you're not just going to listen to botany, you might listen to geology. Like learning about geology is really important about knowing what your soil does and how it works and how it got there and what's in it and all these other mechanical sort of things. Mm. Um, And, yeah, so natural science as a whole, uh, taking a lot of that stuff in can inform how you garden and how you think about how that system that you're trying to get create in your garden works Mm. or how you can make it work and all these other sort of side things that you never thought of until you listen to someone really interesting talking about it and then it's like, oh, that actually fits in with what I'm trying to do in the backyard for whatever. Yeah, And
0: people don't realise what they're doing in their backyard is the culmination of a whole heap of different scientific fields. Yeah, there's the botany and the geology but then wanting to bring insects and animals to your garden, all that, zoology and all the other. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So getting... Getting a wraparound of of how those things function and listening to someone who's studied that yeah for their career, it's
2: very very helpful. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's uh, I've enjoyed the podcast revolution mm, <laughs> the last ten years or so. Yeah. It's been really good. Yeah, me too. Yeah.
0: Me too. And then there's the funny podcast as well yes. that you don't have to tune into, but they give you a good giggle. Every yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah I, I do a bit of podcast listening, but I like early hominid species. So interesting. Oh, yeah. is
0: that what it's called? The podcast mm-hmm. is
1: called the whole really raft nerdy. of them, yeah. Oh, okay, it's, yeah. Um,
2: Origins is a really good one on, yeah. uh, early hominins and things. I'm getting yeah. really nerdy now. It's, about, it's <laughs> a gardening show. I'm talking about you are, believe it or not, it's, you're,
1: it's who we are, yeah, 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 yeah.
2: And, and it's as I say, that the whole thought process of how that works, how ecological systems work, how evolution works, how geology works. It can feed into gardening, yeah, and yeah. and freeing up that information so people can access it and understand it is one of the best things you can do when you're trying to because gardening's ecology essentially. Mm. You're trying mm. to you know, you haven't got a rose there in and of its by itself. It's in a the garden. It's, there's other things going on around it. There's insects coming in. There's you know the, the water drains in the soil and there's all this stuff going on mm. and the best way to do it is to think about all that stuff happening as a system rather than as individual things that you have stuck in there and they're like little islands yeah. by themselves. It's all interactive and, yeah, it's uh,
0: it gives you a, greater a good underst- way to think of it. Yeah, yeah, and it gives you a greater understanding so that you can maybe at the bottom line just – pick the right plants for your garden by having a better understanding of all those things yeah Yeah.
3: and also gardening is also like an art form too don't you find like there's that whole creative realm that you bring when you're composing a garden so understanding the science and the ecology but also having that creative element too with form color and texture yeah and I find like if you look at some art forms or some different kind of creative disciplinaries and listen to podcasts like that you can also get a lot of inspiration of how you apply that to an ecology as well well i don't want to kill this conversation but listeners believe it or not you are listening to
0: the 3cr gardening show give us a call on 9419 0155 give us your podcast recommendations this morning Um, call us up if you have any gardening questions i have greg bolderston craig wilson and jack semler in the studio with me this morning let's get to some plant talk well, Greg, I've got, I've got a got? couple
1: of questions or well, a question for Greg yeah. and maybe listeners is, is can you use a chainsaw on dead tree ferns? I'm sure I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I had, how do you mean? Like just chopping them down or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a big one at Long Acres I wanted, and I, I chop them up in sections and bury them under viraeas when I'm planting them. Yeah. yeah. Why
0: do you do that?
1: Because they love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good enough reason.
1: Yeah. So they're. It's, it's, it, it, I mean, they're, they're basically epiphytes.
0: The viraeas. Mm-hmm. The r- variegated rhododendrons. Mm.
1: So it's a, a perfect growing medium for them. Perfect growing medium yeah, for yeah. them. And if you put tree fern underneath them, they. Yeah. So it's a, a nice structure really for their root it. systems. That's right. Yep, well yeah, well drained, and it lasts them. for a long time. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. So, you, do you mean is it good for the chainsaw or? Well, I'm just—I've con- never used the chainsaw on a tree fern before. Yeah, no, it'll cut through it
2: alright, but okay. it'll blunt your blades really quickly because i right, got a The tree ferns, as everything lands on the fern fronds and gets washed down into the crown, then slowly drips down the
1: yeah.
2: the outside of the tree fern. Yeah. So there's a lot of grit and soil and dust stuck yeah. in the roots of the. Trunk of the tree, fern. Yeah. Um, so it'll blunt the blade pretty quickly, but you can do it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Good. Yeah. No, it's Thank uh, you. it'll chew could, through them real good.
0: Could you ho like hose it off your cut line before you start? And and I let think it it's dry more out?
2: the. I it, think it's more the blade hitting. Like even even when you're cutting a tree down close to the ground, where yeah. there's all those splashes from rain and things, yeah. that that all tend to. It, it won't. It won't matter. Like you just need yeah. to sharpen your chainsaw or the, swap the blade over the, a bit quicker.
1: There's still chainsaw sharpener is a wondrous tool
2: (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's real good yeah um but yeah you won't have any troubles with it okay good
1: thank you the other thing i wanted to say was with a spalier i mean i do it out of necessity because of parrots and there is no way that i get fruit unless i've kept it to a level that i can net them
0: yeah okay yeah Yeah. what pattern do you just have the the vertical, so the horizontal lines oh, of espaliering? A few different or? styles. Oh, yeah. I, I
1: really like the umbrella. So you yeah. take off anything going up and let them come out.
0: Oh. Yeah. Because I want to espalier some fruit trees at my place, but I haven't done it before. Yeah. What's the umbrella? Explain that a bit more. So
1: you get the tree up to the height that you want. Yeah. And then you take off anything that goes up and you leave the shoots going out. Oh, So right. that it makes a big umbrella shape. Yeah, and you can let them get really wide so if you want. That's almost
2: pollarding, a, a bit more. Is it on, on a structure or, or...
1: no? So it's standing. a freestanding tree, absolutely. And yeah. you just stop the upgrowth and stop the upgrowth and, and keep the lateral growth. Yeah. That's right.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, guys, we've got a caller coming through, so we'll get us some plants in a moment. But let's say good morning to Sharon in Cheltenham. Hello. Hi. Oh, good morning. I look, it's a pretty boring question. Probably, I've
4: got a honeysuckle. Um, plant that's been growing over since uh, for years. It's looking dreadful, so I was thinking of cutting it right back.
0: But when honeysuckle grows,
1: I, I would and say when I you think... feel the urge. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> they're so good. <rigorous>. Yeah, <laughs> it'll come yeah. back
1: probably. Yeah,
3: um, definitely. Yeah. As we go into autumn after the finished flowering, in that that would be a great time. Yeah, yeah. It,
2: it's it's more about how long it's going to take to recover. Often, so if you do it well. It, yeah, it's sort of so just so before good. it goes into growing season, you won't have to look at the bare stump for as long, maybe, mm. and it'll yeah. get bigger quicker, maybe. Um, but it's not going to hurt the plant, pretty much at any time, I don't think. Especially if the, it's well stream. established. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll All love right.
4: it. <laughs> so I might just wait till the hot weather's finally gone.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
4: All
1: right, and give it a feed and a big drink. Yes. Yeah. But, mm. Yeah. Unfortunately,
4: I. I thought I'd been watering it, and I've only just discovered that I've been watering the wrong spot because there was another plant there, and I thought that this is what happens when the ground when the soil is crowded. You don't realise where the actual base of the plant is. Mm.
5: Yeah,
1: yeah, that can be, especially with honeysuckle, it can be quite difficult to find where, yeah. the, where the origin is.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. Well, thank you. All the best, Sharon. Thanks for calling. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. A couple of text messages have come in. Marg in Abbotsford has a question about olive trees. She has two varieties growing close together. Together. (laughs) Speak properly, Chloe. Two varieties growing close together. They have yellow speckled leaves and look awful. Should I spray them with neem oil? And my espaliered bay tree is being
3: attacked too. I think that it kind of relates to a fungal disease. Yeah, so that sounds like a fungal disease. Um, once plants get fungal diseases, it's very hard to remove them. Um, Often you just consider how to best manage them. I know that I get a little bit of that spot um, at certain times of the year on some of the olives that I've got at home. And I think it's good to kind of be mindful around those things that create the right environment for fungal diseases. So perhaps looking at how the Um, olives are shaped whether they need a bit of extra ventilation what else would you suggest
2: well i'd say it being a fungal thing's also a lot dependent on the seasonal so Mm -hmm. it's mightn't be long term it's probably not going to affect the plant Mm. too badly and we've had a really wet season so it might be just a seasonal thing this year yeah Yeah. and that plants do that they have good and bad years and sometimes something does really well and sometimes you think it's going to do well and it gets a weird disease, yeah. and then yeah. it goes away again the next and year. So
0: Olives and bay trees are those Mediterranean species mm. that like the warm, dry summers, yeah. and we've had three warm-ish, wet, humid That's humid right. summers, yeah. so it's yeah. perfect for fungal diseases to bloom. Neem oil isn't going to do anything, so you might want to look at, there's two, if you want to use a product, but I think maybe pruning to get a bit more airflow mm. and just have a look at the soil to see if it's wet or yeah to see what's going on in the soil but product wise and I wouldn't go straight to this I do the other things first and then going into a bit of a dry period at the moment just see how they go they might perk back up again uh, eco fungicide is a good um, fungicide product and which is the active ingredient in that is potassium bicarbonate or you could use uh, sodium bicarbonate so our you know shelf off the shelf bicarb soda a spoonful in a spray bottle depending on the size of the plants too but that's what i would that's what i would and do. it's
2: really hard with evergreen things too because those horrible leaves stick around for a lot they longer do. than yeah. you'd expect yeah. them otherwise too and yeah. they might be there the next year and you're still looking at it thinking it's sick but it's just something that happened in a small window
1: like the previous year or whatever yeah. that's yeah. right so i mean my immediate reaction when i heard that question was water
0: mm, me too in
1: the wet summer yep. i mean that that
0: yeah amen yeah so yeah. maybe with, with a bit of drying out the leaves yeah. might well it's, might it's not continue sometimes not it's more
2: elbows. about how you're perceiving the problem rather than the plant coping with it because yeah. as I say you're looking at this thing that looks sick but it's not sick anymore because yeah. it's yeah. been and gone
0: yeah
2: and it's more about cleaning it up aesthetically if you can look past that then there might be nothing you can really do or need to do often yeah um yeah. But yeah, the, the airflows, especially for fungi, airflows really. So on, on a wet year, you might think about that for your whole garden, about opening things up. You might, and otherwise in
1: other years, yeah, and letting a bit more air flow through and things like that. Yeah. And if it's an ongoing problem, then I wouldn't grow them.
0: Yeah, pull them yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, put in something that's
1: not good, because I, yeah. I I I don't like the chemical solution for anything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah right plant, right place, and if that's they're not right. working there, then yep. pull There's, out. Plen- there's plenty. There's plenty refreshing. more. Yeah. It's a yeah, uh, so billion years of
2: evolution to play with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's a world full of That's what yeah. we
0: were just nerding over before. Yeah. <laughs> um, all the best, Marg, and let us know how you go with that. Uh, text message from Ben and Kerry at Treasured Perennials. Shame on you guys for missing the start of the show, as you've admitted. They just wanted to let us know about the Whittlesea Garden Expo on the 4th and 5th of March, which is next weekend. So it's 9 till 3 at the Whittlesea Showgrounds. Speakers are Nathan Stewart and Chloe Thompson and Millie Ross, who our 3CR listeners will be familiar with. So 4th and 5th of March, Whittlesea Garden Expo next weekend. Pop that into your diary as well. There's so many events back now. How good is this? All right, let's go to another caller and say good morning to Jill from East Brighton. Hello, panelist. Uh, Terrific to to hear you. Uh,
4: Sorry. Um, oh, I. I had, sorry, I had it on speaker. Oh,
0: okay, Heather? that's good. I thought we lost you. No, yes,
4: I, I could hear myself and hear the feedback, so I was very uh, disoriented. Anyway, sorry about that. Uh, I was just wanting to give you a, a mostly happy progress report. You know, I've had a big new garden um, at, uh, at the front of our place with a couple of putting a couple of ponds and a little stream and so on. Mm. And uh, you're talking about, you know, habitat and encouraging things to come in and I've had five different species of butterflies already and and the planting only happened at Christmas. Wow
0: that's And fantastic.
4: Uh, yes, yes I think so too I'm absolutely <laughs> thrilled. Um, one of the ones that's not a native one uh, butterfly is the um, citrus butterfly which is absolutely beautiful and it's actually uh, laid eggs and got caterpillars on my um, Tahitian lime which I'm really welcoming because it's, my Tahitian lime is a big, very productive tree, and I don't think caterpillars are going to do much, too much harm to it. And they're beautiful, beautiful caterpillars as well as uh, the butterfly itself is, is really large with swallowtail mm. uh, in, uh, I don't know if you're, you're probably familiar with it, um, black, white with um, a little bit of red uh on the
0: yeah i
2: uh, think i can be yeah i'm familiar
0: with it but listeners might not be so it's okay to describe it for us yeah yeah so that was lovely and also you know i asked for your advice
4: about um uh uh, pollarding my silver princess tree um i just cut it right off at the base because it was looking so you know old and miserable and at the end of its life sort of thing and uh I've also thinned out the suckers that have come um, with your advice. And again, this is about three months ago I did that and um, I've now got about five litres coming up nearly a metre tall.
3: Oh, well done. That's right. Yeah. 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 And that yeah. beautiful would... multi-stem effect that you're going to yeah. get to is going to be so that. glorious. Yes. Yeah.
4: Yes, yeah, so I thought that's just it's, yeah, fabulous. And in my pond already, my I was looking, uh, showing my niece around yesterday. She's also a fellow gardener, and she saw that I've already got water boatmen in the pond. Uh, you know those <laughs> little bit, be- um, uh, little sort of uh, aquatic beetles <laughs> that <to laughs> zoom around. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and uh, lots of uh, large dragonflies have been hanging about, and uh, damselflies and things. So. Yeah, you know, builders and they will come, which is a really nice. Yeah. Um, it's great having that
2: diversity too. Is I mean, the the idea that a garden should be blocks of this and blocks of that and everything's in its own little thing, I think, is really sad. <laughs> yes, so so yeah. much better when you've just got stuff popping up everywhere, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you go, oh plants. look at that! I haven't seen that before, and yeah. I didn't plant that, but that looks pretty. Or yes,
5: yes,
2: yeah, yes, um, yes. It's so much more I, interesting I, having, you know. I, observing something, a, 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 an ecosystem, even if it's slightly forced, um, yes. than yes. something that is completely forced and artificial, yeah.
4: I, I I really think, yes, I'm very much of that opinion. And also I did employ a wonderful garden designer, Meg Geary, and I did, though I've been a gardener for many years, I said, I really like some plants that I haven't met before.
0: Oh, good um, on you! That's very brave.
4: Mm. <laughs> I thought, yes, I really, you know, want to expand my knowledge, and uh, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of plants out there that I don't know that are terrific, you know, in many ways. Um, look, and the, the negative one was, if I can get to the negative, the problem. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know if there's much in, you can advise me on it. But um, we, we planted uh, three um, what you called um, mallee snow gums mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a group. Mm-hmm. and um, I noticed that the, particularly the central one, the leaves were getting very, very pale. You know, they're not drooping, but they're almost white, and I was afraid that it was either too wet or too dry. It's the lowest point in the garden next to the footpath. Our, gar- our garden sort of slopes down towards the, the road, and um, so I backed off the watering for a while, which... Um, it certainly means that the snow gums haven't got any worse, but, but one of the grevilleas died of thirst. <laughs> okay. So, because um, I've got a, I've uh, had installed a um, an irrigation system, so it wasn't just me hand watering. You know, this, uh, yeah. yes, all bit all or nothing. So um, yeah, I don't.
2: So, don't what were the know. symptoms of the actual gum? The, the paling of the leaves.
4: Yes, they weren't drooping. They just—some uh, of them have just gone almost white. Uh, and Meg actually came round, and we both did a bit of, a bit of a digging around, and, and she said, "Well, look, the soil is not at one stage earlier it, it was a bit soggy, but now it's damp but not soggy and not smelly." Um, so what okay. we've done is just face the um, the riser of the irrigation system away from that tree. Mm. But yes, the, the whole top of it, I'm just looking out the window now, the whole top of it is now looking like a very pale beige, but the it... lower leaves are, um, there's still some green and as I said, they're not drooping, they're just gone kind of, you know,
5: that sounds really ish Is
1: eucalyptus or is it? There's a yeah. snow gum. Yeah, well, I would yeah. say that it's a big ask for a snow gum to grow at sea level.
0: It yes. is, no, they, Look, it is. Yeah. They, they do. They, they do. do. Yeah, they, they do, do grow in a huge range of environments if okay. they're okay. put into it. Yeah, mm. it sounds. Yes. it sounds I know like a water. We have them water.
4: on the, the Monnington Peninsula as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. it yeah. sounds
2: like a root system problem or yeah. a poison. Yeah, or so
0: whether or not the plant that was put in there is is simply a, a dud, <laughs> or it, but it could be a water.
3: Yeah, potentially waterlogging, I think. It sounds like from the symptoms that you and Meg saw that there was a significant amount of water around that root base and perhaps that yes, led to the root system dying back a little bit and we see that response in the tips of the leaves. Mm. But it sounds like you're monitoring it again and I yeah. think when when you ever have a question around whether I've got too much or not enough water, having a bit of a dig and actually investigating is really a yeah. great way to go because you're, you're actually understanding what the water in the soil is actually like yeah. before... Yeah. Um, altering your, your irrigation. So perhaps continue to do that. Just keep an eye on the soil and we'll see mm. if that bounces back. Um, a lot of uh, eucalypts are quite resilient, so fingers crossed. this yeah, guy so might snow gums come back are good for getting
2: you. the tops yeah. knocked off them and then coming back up yeah. again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Once <laughs> they've got yeah. that, yeah. got that, got that yeah. lignature formed, they yeah. can really kind of respond. Yeah. yeah.
0: And because last spring and start of summer was so wet, they could just be struggling. Yeah. And that inconsistent watering, if you've backed the watering off right, if you back the water suddenly. off a lot, yes, it could yes. be a little bit of an extreme, but probably just keep it, yeah, keep it to minimal watering, I think. Mm-hmm. And, yes, and hopefully yes. it okay. just can settle in and, and it'll be yes. fine. Mm. Yes.
4: yes, Meg did suggest something very similar to what you were saying before, uh, Greg, about uh, with the uh, olive trees, that the damage has happened, but it's over now, yeah, we hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just looking at the result is um, yeah, a
5: bit
2: Yeah, it's a bit hard to look at it a yeah. pain <laughs> yes, <laughs>
4: yes, yes well one of the other ones next to it has got a little bit of that, but the one on the other side has has got none of it, so yeah you know it must it must have been just uh, they were just in perhaps a wetter spot for mm. a while, and uh, yeah, we'll do our best you know hopefully we, we, come we've we've had yeah. we've had virtually no rain here um um I think we had one rain event since Christmas. Uh, yeah. we're, we're in East Brighton, so we're down low. We didn't, haven't had any, you know, like yesterday, I think we got half a mil. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, have been watering because, you know, it's a new garden, but, mm. you know, it's always a bit dicey <laughs> knowing how much and how little for different plants.
0: Yeah, well, with the yucca, probably just leave it alone and let yes. it settle in and let nature do its, do its thing with whatever yes. rain that does come or doesn't come.
4: Yeah. Yes, yes, okay, yes. Oh. The Swamp Banks here has been loving having the irrigation. It's oh, got yes, about, it
0: will. Oh, Keep it up to wow. that. <laughs> yes, yes.
4: It's got about 30 beautiful flowers on it, and uh, yes, for a small tree it's, it's looking spectacular. Awesome. Yep.
0: Anyway... All right, look, Jill, and- thanks for giving us an update. That's fantastic, <laughs> and all the best with the rest of the garden establishing. Keep us posted. Thank you.
4: Thank you very much. Thanks, yes. Jill. Look I, I love the show. You've just so knowledgeable and uh, learning lots of stuff. And I'm off to see Karen's garden today. Oh, good oak. Enjoy. Have a great
0: day. Thanks, Jill. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, a couple of text messages have come in. Charlotte from Carnegie has a mature oak tree, about 80 years old, three stories high. Its leaves never decompose. Any suggestions? Um, Some seasons she's just left them on the garden others she's bagged them up and put them in the council waste the main issue is the plants under the tree are not getting any moisture because the leaves form a bit of a barrier and she ends up having to hand water them should she be clearing the leaves or buying a mulcher what is the panelist oh,
1: mulcher mm.
2: Mm. yeah yeah
0: they take ages to decompose what,
1: what sort of oak is it a
0: pin oak, pin
2: oak. Yeah. Oh, yeah Okay. We yeah, they to... can. They can get pretty thick layers of them underneath there. I found um, uh, like dynamic lifter type stuff helps yeah. break down leaves under trees as well. Oh. Yeah. A little bit of nit. I, I think it's the nitrogen in it that yeah. feeds the enzymes and things that help break the leaves down it and encourage hap- the uh, uh, fungi. To get up, which is your best friend in that situation. Uh-huh. Encourage the fungi.
0: Yeah, and, and balance, get a balance of that carbon-nitrogen ratio because mm. there yeah. be a lot of carbon in those dead yeah, leaves. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I have a huge oak in my garden. I mean, it, it, it is enormous. And, and I put wood chip on top of the leaves. Yeah, well, that's flattening do you,
0: it down and keeping yeah, it wet. Do you have anything growing underneath it? Oh, yeah,
1: of course.
2: Yeah.
0: It's so a full you, garden.
2: i <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll waste any space. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's such a stupid question. But, so you'll mulch heavily around the plants that are growing underneath yep. there. What have you got growing underneath?
1: Uh, Astelia, um, Ocuba of various sorts, Cyclamen, Epimediums, so not
0: just, things. yeah, so little things as well as, as big yeah.
1: ones. Yeah. yeah. Huge leaf drop. I mean, it, it is enormous. Mm. Yeah. And so- and I, I, in the autumn, I rake up all the leaves, put them on the garden beds, and then when when, when the leaf drop's finished, I put wood chip on top of
3: them. Mm. Mm. And you're in a little bit more of a damper yeah, environment exactly. as well. Yeah. So perhaps that mix of like having a bit of that nitrogen, having a little mm. bit more moisture, and if you can't facilitate that, In the garden, maybe is a case of like raking them up and creating like a leaf mold or something. Yeah, Yeah.
2: and breaking stuff down the more surface area you've got. So if you run those leaves through a a chipper or a mulcher, uh, you get more surface area, and then the fungi and enzymes and everything has got more surface area to attack. So it breaks down a bit quicker and retains moisture a bit better. But never discard them. No, no, no. no. (laughs) Huge
3: resource. Yeah. Great bit of organic matter. Yeah.
0: when I was at the zoo, we'd go up in autumn, go off collecting oak leaves. It was mainly English oak leaves. Bring them back and put them in uh, like an apple crate pallet, uh, which all beetle larvae, beetles would lay their eggs in and beetle larvae would eat through all of that. So they had the beetles for um, various exhibits throughout the zoo. So that's what mm, that's mm. what we used it for. But it, we only had to do it every couple of years because the leaves would take so long yeah, to break yep. down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Charlotte in Carnegie, Maybe go up and talk to talk to Craig about his plants that he's got underneath there. Maybe there's not the right plants that she's got growing underneath the her tree as well. If they keep getting covered and are looking unhealthy or something, I
1: think I get a picture of what's happening. I mean, the oak leaves are quite big and flat, and yeah. they tend to stick together. They do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's what will be going on, and probably chopping them up is going to resolve that very quickly. And like you're saying before too, choosing
2: plants that grow in those positions better like woodland understory woodland plants underneath an oak pretty good idea yeah and if Mm. you haven't got one that likes uh living amongst tree roots in you know a shady summer and open
1: winters um it's probably not going to do as well under there the thing with woodland plants and understory plants is that they are accustomed to the dry because mm. they're growing under trees, and what they don't like is bare soil. Mm. Yeah. They yeah. like a deep, deep leaf litter and mulch to grow in. Mm. Yeah. Because most, most of their root systems like surface. right on the surface. That's right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so and if you take been... the leaves away, yeah. you've basically taken away their topsoil. Yeah. they are absolutely right, Greg. The roots run under the mulch. Yeah. 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 And look after your fungi, because that's what's going to make the, all that stuff into really yummy soil. And, yeah, so encourage the fungi.
0: And feed the tree. Keep it going for another 80 years. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Hopefully that was helpful, Charlotte. Another text message from Rosie in Mount Eliza. In a previous show we mentioned that there might be a dwarf lemon-scented gum Mm -hmm. available one day. I would absolutely love one in my garden. Can you suggest what she could ask for and where to find it?
1: I don't know, it was me that was talking about it. It was in a friend's garden in Mombolk and it is breathtakingly beautiful. Mm. Multiple trunked.
3: I can't remember the cultivar right off the top of my head, but I I do know some wholesalers that supply it, So, but there is a bit of an industry shortage at the moment. Yeah. So maybe continue to keep an <laughs> out. I know, I want one. Yeah. I'd,
0: uh, I'd speak to Karanga. I, when yes. I, I remember seeing them when I was working there. They're grafted. And I saw some, there's some planted on Flinders Street in the city actually uh, that are grafted onto spotted gum yeah. stock. So speak to Karanga and you might be able to go on the um, on the orders list because, mm. yeah, they don't come in very often. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you should be able to give them a call, Rosie, if you don't want to drive all the way up to Mount Evelyn from Mount Eliza. Um, okay, guys, let's get to some plant chat. Actually, before we get to plant chat, Jack, you've brought in a heavy clunk of paper this morning.
3: <laughs> yes, I have. I've brought in my um, – I've got a copy of Super Bloom. It's a book I released just before Christmas last year. It's a field guide for flowers for every gardener uh, published with Thames & Hudson. It's been amazing to have it out and about on bookstore, bookstore shelves and available online. It's, a, like, it's like a cook's companion um, for – Anyone who's just starting off, if you really want to bring more flowering beauty into your garden, uh, it's a really great guide to just get you started. Or if there's someone in your life that you know that would just love to get gardening, but maybe they need a little bit of permission, because I know a lot of people that start off gardening, you know, it just feels like there's so many rules to follow Mm -hmm. that it's really hard to kind of get cracking And so it's been my pleasure to work with um, the photographer also, Sarah Parnell. So there's a lot of beauty in this book as well as a lot of information and a way to get started.
0: It's it's about four centimetres thick. (laughs) There's so many different plants you've covered in it. Just give us an idea of what sort of plants you talk about
3: there's a well it's a wide range because there's so many beautiful things from like the australian bluebells that are so florific and thai lotuses and those beautiful australian plants as well as old world things like pelargoniums we were just talking about them before the show got started and there's such a range of species and colors and often we kind of feel like a particular plant might not be on trend or it Mm. might not be super cool but there's really a fabulous spectrum of flowers and what we've done in the book too which I think is really useful is that we've created plant pairings as well so different suggestions of what you can grow together which I think is really Mm. helps you out with that kind of composition as well so there's more than 70 plant profiles and beautiful illustrations in the book too
0: I think those combinations will be really helpful for people as well because often um, and I get this with friends asking all the time they find a plant that they like but they don't know what else to put with it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that'll yeah. be really helpful.
3: And I think we all love plants so much, but how do we create that little community? Like what do we grow with it to create lots of beauty and wonder? Yeah. And it's getting, um, for those North American listeners, um, it's getting released in the UK and in North America in May and April. So it'll be on your shores. Very
0: exciting. Very exciting. We do have a few listeners from over the ocean, so... They can look out for that. So you can buy it online and in bookstores.
3: Yeah, absolutely
0: good.
2: And some of the 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 pelargoniums and things that you sort of think, as you say, like they're if they're out of fashion, those sorts of plants, they're all really hard to get. Sometimes I I remember selling uh, fuchsia magellanica when I had my nursery, and you couldn't get it anywhere. And it's such to me, it was like one of those plants that was in all gardens, but yeah. If you were starting a new garden, the only way you'd get one is if you actually knew someone who had one that you could get a
1: cutting off. You couldn't really buy it in nurseries. I saw tons often. of it. Yeah, it's a great yeah. plant. Yeah, both, both <laughs> through the nursery and, and the mail order.
2: Yeah, it's, but a lot it's
1: of it's really popular. A lot
2: of those plants that, um, that like the pelagoniums and stuff, they're really hard to get through nurseries, but yeah. you sort of have to know someone with them.
3: Yeah, and um, I've also included a source list because I think, like, if you're starting, you might just be going to you know, the local hardware store or whatever's Mm. available. And there's this whole, like you said before, like there's all this diversity of plants. There are so many plants available and so many plants that will work in your garden. Mm. And so there's a list, a source list at the back of different websites that you can go to to find some of these beautiful things too.
1: I think when people are starting out with gardening, you know, they have to come to the understanding that it's trial and error. Yes, and, and that if something doesn't work, first thing you do is try moving it. Mm. I mean sometimes you just move something a meter and it takes and it changes. It and it takes yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and
3: that, it, yeah, that's so true. Like gardening's a process. Yeah, it absolutely. doesn't need to be perfect. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And and there's gonna be mistakes and things are gonna die. That's how evolution works. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. <laughs> I like and I, I like yeah. it when things die because then I can go out and buy another plant. Got golden opportunities. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I am Chloe Foster and in the studio with me today we have Greg Boldiston, Craig Wilson and Jack Semler. If you want to chat to us, the number is 94190155. If you want to text message us, the number is oh four double let Let's get to some plant chat.
1: I bought some New Guinea plants in oh
0: okay, and you yeah, know
1: because because New Guinea's so mountainous, there are a lot of things that cope with a bit of cold,
0: yeah, and
1: I'm sure lots more up there that we haven't mm. got yeah it's an interesting season, it's so, like there's a lot of
2: mexican high altitude Mexican stuff that's essentially comes from the tropics, but we can grow it here because yeah. it's the only difference being that it's dry in winter and wet in summer there that's right, but, so you just have to water them. <laughs>
5: But if you water them, it's
2: pretty much everything else is the same as high-altitude tropical Mexico. (laughs)
1: Fascinating. Um,
2: And and I'm assuming these are are similar in that regard. I think so. I I think
1: so. I mean, the the ficus dameropsis which is flourishing in my garden.
0: This is one of the most fascinating ficus species. It's Mm. just
1: beautiful. The first time I saw it was in New Zealand in the Whangarei quarry gardens where it's growing on rock. Really, and it's it's the most beautiful multiple trunk tree, perhaps six or eight meter spread and a four mm. meter high.
0: The leaf that Craig is holding up is about forty centimeters long. Yeah, twenty five yeah. wide.
1: Yeah, you could serve a good big ribeye on it. <laughs> <Yes.
0: laughs> They've also got really interesting fruits on them too. Yeah. Yes, has yours has yours fruited? No, not yet, Craig. It must it, take a while for them to. Yeah do
1: it and and the new leaves the the casing is red
0: yeah yeah
1: it's and, it's a spectacular plant and i'm really happy that it's growing
0: where a, have you got it sorry jack oh no
1: you full sun yeah okay yeah and, and and um really well drained like in a mounded bed okay yeah and it hated the winter in the winter and spring especially with all that rain i mean i thought it was gone yeah, yeah as soon as that stopped it took off again
0: I think they do okay indoors.
1: I think they'd be a good indoor plant. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. If you're sick of the fiddle figs. But,
1: but one one thing that I thought about yesterday I had a customer slash friend from Reservoir come in and he had one that he'd been growing it in a tub on his balcony and he got sick of watering it. Ah. So he put it in the ground in reservoir in full sun and yeah. it's taken off like a rocket. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah. He's Those a good gardener. Surprising. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I think yeah, it's it's something that um, people could look
0: at. Do you grow them and sell them?
1: A few, not a lot. Yeah. yeah,
0: are they are they hard to propagate?
1: For a fig, yes. Okay. Yeah, because normally figs just look at propagating roots yeah, yeah. and they make roots. <laughs> <laughs> they grow roots towards a
2: propagating. Yeah, because
0: yeah. I've I've seen them, and even just in smaller pots at you know a couple of. Random where where they randomly pop up. They're quite they're quite expensive, so I thought they must be harder to propagate. They are
1: harder to propagate, and I think the scarcity, and and also the indoor plant craze probably,
0: yes, push the bumps the price up a bit. Yeah, but the foliage is beautiful. It's almost um, concertinaed a little bit,
1: really dark green and 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 the veining is sort of pleated. Yes, that's the word. Not concertina
0: pleating. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and big. There's Very a big.
3: there's a magnificent species if if you ever get to go to the Sydney Botanic Gardens. There's a beautiful one within their gardens that's yeah. really worth finding. Okay. There, there's a one hidden
0: at the Melbourne Botanic Gardens as well, and it's Ooh. growing in this little like northwest facing pocket, and it's it's over on one side of the ornamental lake. And it's just sort of, you almost wouldn't notice it because it's sort of covered by, uh, half by a whole heap of other plants. And then you just see this giant leaf pop out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fascinating species.
1: Muehlenbeckia, which is, I mean, you would not look at this and say Muehlenbeckia if you think of the Australian species.
0: Oh, we've got another one. Yeah, that's. Yeah.
1: Muehlenbeckia platyclada. That looks like something. That the dinosaurs used to eat. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah.
2: (laughs) It's very basic. I mean, my understanding
1: of Mule and Beccia is sort of divaricating and tiny leaves. This thing, the common name is ribbon bush, and another one is tapeworm plant. (laughs) 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 So the stems are flat. Yeah. Yeah, and the leaves are tiny.
0: Uh, Just in Latin, platy, does platy mean flat and cladus mean leaves? Or have I got it the other way around? Something like I that? I think
1: so.
2: The,
0: the sound of that name sounds something to me to mean like flat leaves. Yeah. yeah.
1: Certainly has that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really
0: does. Let's say it though. That's what Yeah, let's go, that. <laughs> let's go
1: with that. Let's go with that. And I bought this from Don Tease 25 years ago at mm. minor and he told me dry shade and I put it in dry shade and it sat there for 20 years. Didn't look miserable but didn't grow. Mm-hmm. And you know, a few years ago, I dug it up, and put it in a pot in the polytunnel, and it just immediately took off. So, what's the habit of the plant? Like, what's what? What are it's you looking shrub. at in the? And in small to medium-sized shrub. Okay. Yeah, wow. and and I think also indoors would be good. Yep. Yeah. And quite dense, or is it fairly sparse and? It, if you use the secretary, it gets dense. Okay. Yeah, it does. The thing that on its own, there's it's actually one in the roadie gardens up up the road. You okay. Know, the Olinda Botanic Gardens. Which is leggy, but that, that may be through the lack of secretaires. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that in Melbourne gardens it would grow outside easily.
3: Mm. It's got yeah. a fabulous texture too. You could Hasn't see it? that it would mm. give a real contrast. That's it looks right. like a piece of seaweed. Yeah. yeah it does. Yeah.
1: It really does. Yeah, I, I think New Guinea's an untapped source. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm. We'll get back to some plants in a moment. We've had a text message come through. Um this listener has a friend on a large property in Sorrento on the peninsula. They're finding in the back garden plants are growing well into trees, but after about 10 years of maturity, plants such as mulberry, large eukes, alla casuarina and various fruit trees have started to die and then completely die off. What might be happening in the soil or around to make this happen?
3: It's funny, like, on the peninsula, I've actually seen, like, even if you're just driving around the streets, there's, like, a surprising amount of dead trees and shrubs. I don't know if it's just from this uncommon wet season that was suddenly had, like, these three, like, La Nina cycles that have just kind of pushed some dry-tolerant species just to their limit on the peninsula. Mm. Um, So whether it's something weather-related, that it's, you know, that... All of these um, species don't mind a bit of dry. And then suddenly we've had this incredibly wet season. Wonderful
0: I wonder if it's pushed the water table up.
3: Yeah, who, right? who knows? But it's funny that I, I don't know if I'm alone in this observation, but on the peninsula in particular, you're driving along and you will see the odd dead tree or odd dead shrub in a garden. Mm. Yeah.
1: And that's just this year?
3: Yeah, just this year, just noticeably okay. this summer. Well,
1: yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. and the other thing, yeah. like
1: we we're talking about before,
2: before where plants get damaged and then they hang on to that damage for a long time, and you still think it's sick. Uh, a lot of the spe- a lot of plant species that can get damaged by overwater don't often show those symptoms until it dries out because the roots are getting damaged when they're sitting in the water. But they can still uptake the moisture out of their root systems and you only see the damage once it gets hot and dry and then they can't Mm -hmm. access the water in the ground anymore because their roots are damaged from all the water that's been sitting around them for months. So uh, there was a a weeping sequoia dendron at Forest Glade last year that had an amazing growing season and then literally on the second or third hot day I'm looking at it going, oh, it looks a bit brown. (laughs) And it just died. Ouch. Yeah, big one. Yeah. Like a 30-year-old sequoia oh. dendron pen, uh, gigantean pendulum mm. just died. Yeah. And it seemed like it died in an instant, but it was because it was waterlogged, way too waterlogged for a long time. And then as soon as you hit that hot spell, it hasn't got the ability to – it hasn't got its root system mm. pretty much anymore. Mm. It's it's mm. basically it's, – it's like, you know, picking something and putting it in a vase. Yeah. Um, the root system's gone, but still got access to the water. As soon as you get the hot water, it can't access that water anymore because the root system's gone.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm also thinking about pH down there too, it, especially at Sorrento. You can get pHs up to eight and nine in some areas. So probably would have seen symptoms earlier than 10 years, but maybe the when the garden, I don't know if it's a new, you know, it was if the landscaping was done 10 years ago with you know, the topsoil that was added to the garden, but as the plant roots are hitting the subsoil below and then they've hit, you know, they've had a neutral pH in this lovely garden blend, sandy loam, and then the roots finally hit the subsoil underneath and then they're struggling. A, A lot of fruit trees probably don't like a really alkaline pH. So I thought
1: mulberries wouldn't mind. I mean,
3: mulberries yeah. live
1: forever. They do. Yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, they do.
3: Yeah, it's it's just unusual, that whole mix of species, the fact that uh. all of those things with different tolerances yeah. aren't doing well. Yeah.
0: And okay. the yellow casuarina, I mean, I know that grows more so out on the west of Melbourne in the Victorian volcanic plains. Maybe that's not the right she-oak Coastal areas, yeah, the
1: volcanic plains would be acid, wouldn't they? Yeah, mm. yeah,
0: yeah, and a different soil composition altogether. Yeah, 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 there would it, be
1: an indigenous casuarina to the, the um, I,
0: uh, I think it might be littoralis, yeah, off the top of my head. Yes, yeah. the, black yeah. she she a, the black she the yes. black she wonderful
1: bonsai material.
0: Oh, oh really? hello. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they do. I haven't seen Littoralis before, but I have heard that they bonsai quite well.
1: Littoralis is one of the best because the bark's hard. Oh,
0: yes, the bark. The yeah. bark's
1: hard. So you use Torralosa and it has that fragile bark and you touch it and it just breaks off and takes mm. years to replace,
0: mm.
1: whereas Littoralis has hard bark. Mm.
0: Uh-huh. Mm. All right. So uh, for your friend in Sorrento, it might be Worth checking out the pH of the subsoil, but also, um, uh, oh gosh, guys, help me out. What did you say? I've just gone blank.
2: Well, oh, well, the, for the groundwater, it was, yeah, was I yes, th-
0: yeah. water uh, from the la- from the last couple of summers yeah. might be a bit too much water.
1: If it was, if it's a recent event, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Greg, let's get to this All viburnum right. that you brought oh, in. Pretty. So
2: I thought it's viburnum uh, viburnum opulus, not cuts. Variety. Um, I'm sure Stephen would have bought this in a heap of times. Um, and why wouldn't you? So the 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 berries are just starting to colour up now. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it Has small. So it's it's a relatively large shrub, uh, very weeping habit. Um, the one I've got at home, I often try and uh, prune it up so I can walk underneath it, and it constantly just collapses down on the pathway, which is a little bit annoying. But it's such a pretty thing. In spring, it has small lace cap, like hydrangea lace cap type Mm -hmm. viburnum flowers on it, Um, and all the fertile flowers in the middle of the lace cap flower uh, set fruit on it, which starts off a sort of a greenish colour. Then it sort of goes yellow. Uh, Early to midsummer, they start to yellow off, and then as you get towards the end of summer and going into autumn, the yellow flushes red, and then the longer they can stay on the bush – Uh, I've had years before where the rats and parrots didn't pull them off the, the plants. Mm -hmm. And if you can get the berries well into autumn, they'll turn into like translucent red glass beads and they're just stunning things. Mm -hmm. It's one of the prettiest fruiting plants I can think of. Um, so you get clusters. The branch I bought in has, uh, what, five old flower heads on it and, There'd be a couple of hundred berries there, I reckon. Yeah,
0: listeners and need to check out our Instagram and Facebook yeah, page to see Lizzie the images a, of this because a, a, a it's picture of this beautiful. one. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and each each of the berries is you know maybe half the size of a marble, um, but they're quite big clusters of them. And the autumn colour on the foliage is uh, sort of a mid yellow, nothing particularly strong. But if you can. Stop the rats and birds eating the berries off. You've got this beautiful, soft, buttery yellow autumn colour with these uh, red translucent glass mm. beads hanging all the mm. way around it. It's a really pretty bush. Um, yeah. What's and, its
0: cultivation requirements?
2: Uh, it's pretty easy where I am. So so I've got volcanic soil. Um, it's pretty dry, pretty warm in summer. Mm. Um, certainly not a plant I'd stick out in hot, dry Conditions with yeah, baking shelter. hot sun, sheltered spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it won't like hot winds or a barren open west facing, you know, desert. <laughs> um, but in saying that, it's also pretty tough. Like yeah, once they, once they get established, uh, when when they're a bit younger, you probably have to water them a, a bit through some of the hotter weather. Um, but once it's established, they're a relatively tough plant. They can get a little bit of leaf burn on them. In, in the, my one at home, which is fairly open. Um, it can get a little bit of leaf burn on the western and northern sides of the bush um, but no real
1: trouble so uh, i think it's fairly fairly easy to grow um, same same hardiness as, as viburnum opulus yeah yeah, yeah I, I reckon tough. yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm. Um,
2: and the one thing i would do with mine if i had it the time over again is not plant it right beside a path Like, you don't, it looks pretty when you've pruned it up and you can walk underneath it, Mm. but it'll only stay like that for about two weeks and then it starts drooping back down into the pathway. (laughs) So um, I know if you give them enough space, they actually sucker really easily. Uh, So, in fact, the one I've got at home is off a bush my sister had at her old place 20 years ago, and she had it in a big garden bed where it had just arched straight over, touched the ground, and root off and start again. Yeah. So I used to dig all the suckers around the, yeah, right. around it off. That's where all my plants came from uh, years ago. Uh, so give give it a bit of space, um, but maybe not too much. Cause so it's not a big challenge to propagate? Not not like that, no. Okay. I, don't, I don't think I've ever grown it from cutting. I think all the plants I've ever propagated or, or had were from suckers off a, yeah. off a bigger shrub of it, yeah. Mm um so but it, yeah have, have a look at the picture hopefully lizzie yeah. will pop it up on the on the socials and the color now is like that weighs a couple of kilos that branch it looks heavy. it's quite heavy yeah, yeah. um but and not- they're just starting to go the beautiful red mm. but i don't think they'll make it much past this color because i've noticed just in the last few days the rats climb at night time you can hear them rustling around in it and then you go out in the morning and they're not eating the flesh of the fruit they're actually eating the seed so if you go out underneath the viburnum is red and yellow berry flesh, um, but all the little seeds inside are gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're actually eating the seeds, not the berries.
3: They look like the most beautiful thing for like cut flowers as well, just those jewel like flowers. Yeah. I imagine they just looked um, jewel like um, berries. They just you look You just incredible. need a really heavy vase. Heavy? Uh, there's a <laughs> little leverage there. Yeah, it's got, <laughs> got some leverage, have it? <laughs> It's a good
1: thing to have a viburnum with two seasons because yes. yeah, yeah. they're normally pretty brief. Yeah, yeah.
3: absolutely.
2: Yeah, the flowers don't last. They, 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 yeah.
1: Don't buy this for the flowers. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the,
2: as you say, the flowers on a, a lot of the viburnums are very, very short. Mm-hmm. And if you can get some autumn or some nice foliage yeah. or structure out of a viburnum, I'd go for those ones mm-hmm. rather than the ones that flower for like half a day yeah, or, so true. or yes. two days. Yeah, that's so true. Or two days.
0: Yeah. All right, guys, we've got a couple of callers that have been uh, waiting very patiently. Jill in Malvern East, are you still there? Yes, I'm Thank you for waiting. How are you going?
5: I'm fine, yes. I was going to recommend a plant that grows fantastically in my garden. It's the African lily, and it's, um... oh, I of the first part. Anyway, it's the Los Chialdiana. And it's an is pink and a little bit of white. And I've had it on the archway so that it, it needs support. And it's going to seed now, but it's flowered for about two months all through the summer, the warm days. And I've got it a, a warm spot that gets both uh, east and northern sun. Anyway, it's absolutely beautiful. So I'm, I bought it by mail then I'll, I'll actually try now to remember uh, who I bought it from
1: in Melbourne. So then I'll recommend it in a couple of weeks, you know, to buy it because mm. it has to
3: be planted uh, in May, yes. Yeah. It's a climber, isn't it? Mm. And I think sometimes you can often get it from rare bulb suppliers as well, mm-hmm. like you can actually get it as um, a bare root bulb or rhizome. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. What's
5: well, it, it was it, it sort of like um, white white sort of long sausages. You know, that's what I was going Thick say. Bit thicker than a sausage. And I got three of them, but two of them have propagated. So I'm hoping the third one will next season. But it's the most beautiful, beautiful
0: plant. Well, you'll have to share them around so then.
2: That was the Gloriosa? The, yeah, the, mm. yeah so they're actually related to colchicums, which is really unusual because mm. the colchicum family's a bit of an oddity and any, a favourite of anybody mine.
5: Does anybody there
1: know the, the botanic name? I think it's Gloriosa, isn't it? Gloriosa, it sounds like it. Yeah. But then the sausage yeah. shape doesn't fit with Gloriosa. Yeah, their, their tubers are
3: sort of... Oh, the tubers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Gotcha
5: day, but it's the African Lily.
2: And, and I think uh, Jane Tonkin sells yes. glorious oh. lilies, amongst other. You can get them; they're reasonably readily available. But I think Jane would definitely have them as well.
0: Yeah, if you want some more, Jill, um, contact to- uh, Tonkin's bulbs, or or call up when Jane's in the studio next. Oh, next week. Okay. Thank uh, you. She's not in next week, but I can't remember when she's in. But um. Get on to Tonkin, Tonkin's Bulbs, look up their number and contact her.
3: Yeah, be careful. It's like a candy store. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Very much. I All couldn't right. remember from whom
5: I ordered it. Never mind. Don't get old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for okay, calling, thank Jill. You. Cheers. Bye. Bye. And another patient caller, Lee in Merrick's North. Hello.
6: Good morning. Good morning. Um, I love to talk about Gloriosa lilies. I've got pots and pots and pots of them here and I love them and I rearrange them every year. I dig them up and replant them every year. I grow them from seed, um, and they're in full, full blast along my veranda at the moment.
0: Oh, nice work. And
6: they multiply easily, um... Mm and they are a big tuber, strange-looking tuber. I never know whether to plant them horizontal or standing up.
2: They'll, they'll figure it out.
6: Well, <laughs> soon as they're too, in the ground,
2: I, they'll sort it out. I, I've
6: tried a bit of both and tried to keep records of what I'm doing, mm. and uh, I've failed on all of that, but they just keep coming up every year. So that, and they're a wonderful thing to have, because the little leaf, leaf tips hang on to each other in a very friendly way and they give each other a hand up. I grip on to various things. Anyway, that's not what I'm ringing about. Okay, I'm ringing because I learned a lesson this week by buying uh, spontaneously a very small plant in a very small pot that was only three or four dollars at one of the you know the big hardware nursery because it had a very very pretty flower and I thought oh it's the prettiest thing I've ever seen. It's a Duranta geisha girl and or China girl and. Only when I got home did I bother to Google it and find that it's an absolute menace in Queensland and northern New South Wales. I'm wondering if the panel thinks it's dangerous to plant on the Mornington Peninsula.
3: I think you do need to be a little bit careful of durantas on the um, Mornington Peninsula. They are known to self-seed, um, depending on the cultivar. I'm not very familiar with this one. I don't know whether it's sterile or not. Um, but like with all things that uh, really thrive and dry dry summer conditions they can get away so i think just be be mindful of that there are things that we can do if we're growing things that do self-seed just ensuring that we cut back um, flowers before they're getting to that point but i would be mindful it's it's really good that you're conscious of this and, and we'll keep an eye on it well, i feel they
6: should, all should throw it away google was quite fierce <laughs> <and that's
1: laughs> no, i would say that it, if you plant, if you buy a plant that has weed potential, then you should chuck it and grow something else. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Because – It's too risky, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And,
1: and, and sometimes mm-hmm. these things can take 50 years. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Before
1: they really take over. Best yeah. to be a bit more yeah. conservative, yeah. agreed. Yeah. yeah. All
3: right. Well, lesson
6: learned. I should check these things on Google while I'm in oh. the store rather than after I've got the
3: plant. No, we're all learning. We're all learning. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. yeah.
6: Can I also say that I have a viburnum exactly like the one you described and in my place. It's been here for over 25 years and it's um, going strong. I never do anything. It doesn't get watered. It doesn't get any attention at all except I have to prune it back. It makes a lot, It's got a lot of stems. Do mm. they always have a lot of stems? They do have it's a very lot very of stems. Yeah, yeah they like sort of stemming up. Yeah, Yeah. okay. So well,
2: they, it, sometimes if you prune them too hard, you won't get as many flowers. The opulus not cuts tends to flower better off the previous season's growth. So if you were to coppice it, Hydes are similar too, like just your ordinary hybrid hydrangeas. If you coppice them right down to the ground, you'll get much fewer flowers, but they'll just be really big. No, well, that's I'm not how you prune, you take side. out the old canes. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. So so yeah. the viburnum opulus would be the same if you're pruning right. it. Try and leave some older growth on there because that's probably where you'll get your flowers from.
6: Yes, oh, it doesn't worry me, I'll leave it alone. But it, yeah, yeah. it does have a lot of stems. And I wonder whether the people before me had, pl- had had cut something off and it had coppiced from something in the no, ground. No, they're just multi-stemmed.
2: The, yeah, they're yeah, multi-stemmed. Yeah, yeah, they, they like okay. having lots of stems. All right, thank
6: <laughs> you, that's been a good call for me. Thank you very much for your service. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> Bye.
0: Uh, all right, a couple of text messages to get through. There's a few people that want confirmation on your name and your book name, Jack. Oh,
3: so I'm Jack Semler um, and my book is called Super Bloom, A Field Guide to Flowers for Every Gardener. It's published by Thames and & Hudson and available in great bookstores and online. So Super Bloom, two words, uh, Super Bloom because we believe that there's heroic qualities in flowers.
0: That's beautiful. Very poetic. Uh, Susie has messaged in saying Geelong Botanic Gardens has a great palagonium collection, and they think she thinks they sell a lot of them at the place. Yes, plant sale. they
3: do. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love a botanic garden yeah. plant sale. Like mm. between Cranbourne, Melbourne, and the Geelong Botanic Gardens and others, you get your hands on a whole diversity of plants that are sometimes mm. hard to find. Yeah. So highly recommended. Well, it. Yeah, and they're often sure.
2: propagated for different reasons too. It's not they're not propagating them to make a profit it's like people who love that particular garden and certain plants in it that are going mm. this is an important plant and there needs to be more of it
0: mm. and
2: that's the whole point of botanic gardens i would have thought yeah absolutely. To
1: make it's things that are really rare
0: less mm. rare yeah by really
1: sharing them
3: <laughs> conservation the the are such
1: a fantastic um genus
3: I think so too. I'm actually really surprised that they're not used more in mm. landscape architectural services, mm. in um, sites and, and for different um, public projects because they have this resilience mm. Mm. and yet this flowering quality to them. We often mm. see them in our botanic gardens. I think that there's a whole wave of creative use of them that we could explore, mm. yeah. Yeah.
2: And, and smell, too, like some of the mm. pelargoniums. And, very sensory, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're just you brush past them and it's oh. like, oh, what's that oh, smell? Oh, I love
3: that rose <laughs> geranium one as well that get that really intense scent mm. from. Mm. Beautiful. I like
0: the citrus ones. Yeah. Yeah, they're really nice. Uh, yeah, they're very underutilized. I've always – I'm coming around to them now because they're so resilient mm. and they flower for a long time and big, bright flowers in, in some of them. But I think they just have this grandma plant attributed to them Mm. or this, you know. I'm so over the
1: grandma plant title. You are? Yeah, yeah. absolutely over it. It's just nonsense, you know. So, what if your grandmother grew it?
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. Yeah,
1: it was a good plant. (laughs) Well,
0: that's the reason they grew it because it was a good plant.
3: Exactly, exactly. I mean, in
1: the nursery, I hear it all the time and I just go, what?
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's funny how we can really box plants, like yeah. we can really think about plants in kind of like a binary way, but I think that there's so many things, because we often think about pelargoniums as like those big blousy pelargoniums, but there's Australian pelargoniums, yeah. like mm-hmm. the Austral so and yeah. and all of these other delightful things, and the cidioides and yeah. these other pelargoniums that are really delicate and subtle so there's yeah. a whole world of wonder to explore when it comes to any kind of plant. Yeah. And then
1: the, I think pelargon there's a summer deciduous one which is the only plant in the world that photosynthesizes through its bark
3: oh, that's amazing yeah, yeah i've
1: grown that they yeah. look like little green sort of fingers coming
3: up yeah. out of the ground all yeah.
1: summer and it's like yeah. super is cool there's loads of them and then the big blousy ones which i actually like me but, too <laughs> yeah but there are, are lots of little ones too yeah and, and then climbers got- like yeah. you know ramblers and climbers yeah.
2: and ground covers it, right. one of my favorite ones that reminds me of my childhood are the, I call it a pepperminty sort of smell to it. It's got like a menthol, peppery mm. smell. These big, big, beautiful, velvety, uh, hairy leaves. Oh, the yes. flowers aren't that much. It's more yeah. of a mm-hmm. foliage plant. It's just yeah. this beautiful, dense ground cover. Yeah, and I've found some of those recently and propagated a heap and, and I'm filling up large parts of forest glade with it. <laughs>
3: yeah, there's <laughs> so one, and there's it's a-, quite a
1: useful plant. that will grow in shade
2: too. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yep.
3: Another mm. one that will grow in shade is chalk mint. So it's got this big green leaf and then this beautiful big dark yeah, splotch in right. the middle. And that does sh- dry shade like nothing yep. else. Like, yeah. mm. love a dry shade plant. Mm, me yeah.
0: too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've had someone confirm the name of Platyclada. It means broad branches. Broad branches. Cool. Cool. Oh, that fits as well. They're yeah. quite
2: broad, aren't
1: they?
0: Yeah. Uh, question for you, Greg. Can you please repeat the name of the viburnum?
2: Uh so it's Viburnum Opulus Not Cuts. And I think although a Google search would uh clear this up fairly easily, I think it's spe- the not cuts is spelled N-O-T-C-U-T-S. But um yeah, Google it. Yeah. It's it's spelt weird, it's not it's not knot cuts as in mm. don't cut it. It's mm. actually <laughs> named after something else that I'm not sure of. And it's a variety of Viburnum Opulus. Yes. The, the yep. snowball. Mm. Yeah. But as you say, it's fertile, so it gets yeah. the beautiful berries on it where the snowball tree – like, if you're going to plant one of the two, I this is the one cats. to plant because yeah. it's going to yeah. give you more through the season for a lot longer. I've
0: got the plain old snowball. Uh, I planted at mum and dad's garden years mm. ago, but that's way cooler. Yeah, I mean, the, snowballs <laughs>
2: last, the snowball flowers last longer than the flowers on this one. Yeah, okay. But this gets the flowers, and for at least – even if the rats get them, uh, you've got at least – maybe two months where the berries look pretty amazing, but they're either bright yellow or yellow and red or just starting to turn red when the rats and the birds start getting interested in them. So so you've got, you know, uh, at least six weeks of – Looking really good mm. uh, around this time of the year when a lot of things aren't looking so good, especially yeah. in a warmer year.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so, yeah, it's a really useful plant, I think.
0: And just confirming the spelling of the cultivar name, it's N O T C U T T S. So
1: the first T is single T? Yes. Yep. Oh, yep. okay.
0: Yep. All right, let's get to another plant, Craig.
1: Um, I'm Pick from some your trade. Some begonia, which have survived at my place right through the winter without losing their foliage. Oh, beautiful. Yeah.
3: Oh,
0: they're really crinkly. Yeah, eyes.
1: So these, these ones are rhizomatous begonias. And when I first started growing them, I thought that the canes would be the, the shot at my place. But in fact, the rhizomatous have done better. Mm. Yeah, which is interesting.
0: Why do you think that's so?
1: Don't know. I think yeah. the canes are more cold sensitive, I guess. Mm-hmm. They must be. Got a bit more
2: invested up, up above the ground level
1: where yeah. the, the, they get to hide from the blanket of leaves <laughs> but this one didn't drop a leaf yeah right right over the winter mm. moisty mm. eye big big puckered leaves um dark green and so what, what 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 area in the garden have you got it oh it's in pots oh it's, it's okay yeah yeah yeah. but i i reckon it would grow in a melbourne garden Yep. Mm. yeah I, because of the way it reacted to the alinda climate, I yeah. would think that if in a frost-free zone, it would grow in the garden
0: mm-hmm. easily. It looks yeah. a bit like a lily pad leaf. Yeah, I was thinking
2: yeah. the same thing. A lot like lotus. Yeah, because and especially
0: yeah. looking underneath it, it's got the the veins are red with that redy
1: colour yep.
3: underneath. Yeah, which looks like a yeah a lily.
1: Um. So that one's done
0: really well. No, you it just looks. It.
3: Fa- oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I love them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, Just a quick text message uh, from a listener. Some of my favorite plants are what my nana grew. Helps keep her memory alive.
1: Yep. Yes. Don't do nana plant thing. Mm. No. Yeah. Embrace them. Yep, that's right. Um, Taiwanense is another one that's gone really well at home. Uh, Taiwanense is, again, rhizomatous silver foliage with green veins And I have a friend who grows begonia in um, just north of Sydney. And he says that it gets up to a metre high in his garden. Mm. Certainly doesn't do that for me, but it's obviously Mm. quite a good one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's got a little bit of red underneath the leaf, but on the margins you can see it just a little bit of that red on the top as well. Yeah.
1: So yeah, evergreen leaf.
0: Do you grow these begonias for the for that foliage, which is quite spectacular, or do they have a nice flower too?
1: These ones for foliage. The flowers are just white. Yeah, yeah. They're the smaller sort of
0: (laughs) sprays
2: of flowers on those ones. You get the smaller sprays. That's right.
1: And and the other one that that is completely um, evergreen is uh, imperialis, which is also beautiful. Much smaller leaf. Striped? Would you call that striping? Yeah. green and silver. Yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's a
2: very patterned variegation. Like a tiger, even. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: beautiful. Um, yeah, good plant. I love yeah. the hairs
2: on them too. Yeah. That one in particular is—they're is, a bit more tightly packed. But uh, that'd look really good underneath my dis- dissecting microscope. I reckon. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And we're actually at Forest Glade. We've got a big conservatory there, and we've been looking at getting begonias for there because it's lacking in colour, yeah. colour a little mm. bit. So um, Come and uh, see me. Yeah, yeah, I might do. Got lots of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I walked through the Fitzroy Gardens Conservatory during the week. I was in the city with some diploma <gasps> students looking at all the – something different, but looking at all the green infrastructure projects that City of Melbourne have done. And we started off at the stormwater harvesting at the Fitzroy Gardens Visitor Centre. But on the way back down walking from the station, I've walked through the conservatory, which I haven't been oh. to for years. Yeah. It's amazing. The begonias yes. are insane. These are the these are grown for their flowers. So, so it's a tuberous yes, begonias. The, yeah, tuberous yeah. one. Huge double, triple blooms of yeah. these apricots, salmon, yellow, red, watermelon, yeah. like so many colours, and they've got them uh, hanging. So you get the begonia flowers all just drooping down. Uh, they've got pots just sitting in the in the garden beds as well, yeah. and uh, coleus and a whole heap of plants for a conservatory, like similar to the foliage that you've brought in, that yeah. have really interesting foliage, silver yeah. colours, and crinkly leaves. So and it's a that. bit of a
1: riot. It, it is, is a riot. riot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: They're in, It's it's so clean in there. They've recently renovated it. I think it reopened early last year, maybe the year before. If and you, if you learn the conditions. technique
1: of getting the tuberous begonias through the winter, they get enormous. Mm. Yeah.
0: They, they've got a, a glass house, big yeah. glass house on site at Fitzroy where they keep them and mm-hmm. it must be. Oh yeah, in the glass house they don't, so they don't get our Melbourne winters and it keeps them warmer all, yeah. all year round.
1: So they have a concave top, a lot of the tubers. And, and if, you, if they have too much water, it sits in there yeah, and so it just rots them right. out. Okay. Yeah, so bone dry until you see them shooting. Stick them in the shed and stop the rats that's eating That's right. <laughs> and and when, when you see them actually growing, that's when you water them.
3: Yeah. That's a great tip. Yeah.
0: Do they die back after they finish flowering? Oh, yeah, or? to nothing. Yeah, okay. They disappear
1: completely. Yeah. And there, there are other tuberous ones like um, boliviensis, which is, is to me beautiful. It's more up arching canes with small red flowers that hang along mm. the stems.
0: I because I haven't been to the conservatory for so long. The the tuberous ones at the moment that are flowering. How long do they last?
1: The tubers last.
0: Uh, how long will they flower
3: for?
1: Oh. I don't I mean I don't grow a lot of tuberous okay. ones, but I would have thought that they, they would start flowering in early summer and go right through to autumn. I mean okay. they'd probably be at their peak now. Yeah, mm. so lucky. right over the warm months. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah,
0: they were just yeah they were just absolutely stunning. But yeah, that was for the flowers. I mean, foliage is an equal feature. Yeah, mm. absolutely, yeah. And,
1: and different. Yeah, different style of plant. It's about two thousand species or something, mm. so they yeah. really cover. Not them. to mention hybrids. Yeah, Hybron, that's right. Yeah,
3: I remember last year at the Ferning Creek Horticultural Show there was a grower inside, and it had such a spectrum of colour of mm. all different flower shapes and sizes and mm. stuff like yeah. that. So the White a House Nursery has begonia
2: yeah. openings. I think, around now, too. Yeah, they um, do the tuberous ones. that's what we were looking at for Forest Glade to go and get yeah. some begon- some, yeah. some tuberous begonias off uh, White yeah. House, off Pete.
0: And Pete is coming in uh, next month, I think, yeah. coming to the yeah. studio from White House Nursery. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
2: They they have a fabulous array of tuberous. Yeah, yep. yeah. So I'll definitely – I might have to make a trip up to get some of the more cane ones off you. And, I do canes, canes and rhizometers. And I'll get yeah. the, the tuberous ones off Pete. That's
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Listeners texted in saying the Begonia Society uh, has their Begonia show on this weekend. It's day two, starts at 10am, 964 Nepean Highway, Moorabbin.
1: It's a fantastic place to buy Begonia.
3: Oh, great. I'm going there on the way home.
0: (laughs) And Uh, Craig, could you repeat the names of the Begonias that you brought in, please? um,
1: Taiwanense, as in from Taiwan. Yep.
0: That's Um, the silver foliage one. That's the silver
1: foliage one. The big Puckered leaf is moisei, so moys i Yep. And imperialis is the little um, little one with striped green and silver leaves.
0: Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, and they
1: all grow from leaf cuttings really easily. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: this is the 3CR Gardening Show. We're here until quarter past nine. If you want to text message us, the number is 0488 809 855. I have Greg Bolderston, Craig Wilson and Jack Semler in the studio with me this morning. Craig, have you got any more plants? On? Oh, one got more, more?
1: F- is Fatshera, which is oh. a cross between Fatsia and Ivy.
0: Oh, what? Yeah. it's an <laughs> inter- inter- in interspecies. Ivy family?
1: Or? No, no. It's, a, it's, it's one of the very few interspecies hybrids.
0: Oh, you, you wow. save that until there's about five Yeah, years I later. was going to say. That's-
1: <laughs> and it, 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 it's a low shrub that spreads a little bit, leaves like a fatsia. Habit not quite like ivy, but similar. They'd have to be related, what? though. Like, how close
2: is the relation between them? Don't know. They're in the same family, surely. They must be in the
1: same family. Yeah. yeah. That's really weird, though, still, yeah. isn't it? it is. <laughs> it is. It's it the only one, I think.
2: There's the... the um, Liburnocytis is the only one else I can think of, cause that's, but that's two different genuses in, yeah. in the... Fabaceae family, but yeah. um, yeah, wow, there you go, thatcher deer. Spring that up, cast that to a side, let's go.
0: If, <laughs> it's time they're to go, both in the Aureliaceae family, Aureliaceae, yeah, yeah. yeah. but still, that's really broad to get into. Yeah. You don't often see intergeneric it, crosses, that's
1: right, yeah, yeah.
0: So, instead of growing fatsier, what's the benefit of growing that one? It's
1: low in spreading, okay, rather than tall and yeah,
0: and outside.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's in my garden. Yep. Yeah. And it takes a while to thicken up. I've been pinching the tips out and sort of trying to get it to, to get a bit thicker. And mm. that's happening.
0: Does it get any sort of, what? what's the flowers on it? Like mm, no, very foliage. small? No foliage, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, insignificant. But it has leaves like fascia, which I really like. Yeah, I do big, like Big fan of fascias. Yeah, mm. yeah, they
5: are.
1: I'm just checking to see if it smells like ivy. No.
2: Well, oh, it does a bit, but yeah,
1: yeah,
2: it's it that's odd, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> Ivy smell makes me feel sick. Yeah, yeah, that's what I th- That's yeah. what I thought mm. it'll have. If it's
2: got that distinct ivy smell, but yeah. it's not. It's it's a bit. I think it's an interesting
1: ground cover for dry shade. Mm.
2: Yeah, it might come up to a meter.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Be a good one for the fern gully at forest glade too. Yeah. Plenty of room for down there.
0: <laughs> uh, give us the name of that again, because I reckon we are going to get some text messages.
1: Fat Shadira.
0: F A T. Yeah. S h e d
1: yeah that's right e
0: r a uh huh uh huh thatchadira
1: yeah and I don't think you'll Ivy. see it around very often no No,
0: I don't think so yeah
1: it's really easy to propagate so I don't know oh, why got the market corner thing for a while oh probably. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's been my goal in life to corner the market yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Greg did you bring in any, any I other did players? but yeah. I've got another
2: one. I, I, It was a long story as well. It's a Berberus. I think it's Berberus vulgaris. Uh, So the plant that this…
0: Common Berberus.
2: Yeah, but it's not common, though. I don't think I've ever seen it in Australia anywhere else, except for this plant that was outside my bedroom window as a kid. Right. And that would have been planted in the 1870s uh, by the plant importer for Taylor's and Sanks's Nursery, which was down the end of the road I grew up on. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which was a very big nursery in the late 1800s and early 1900s. This berberus used to get up to about uh, 25, 30 feet tall. Very big for a berberus. Um, The bigger leaves on it are four centimetres long, thereabouts. Um, Massive thorns, massive big multi-stem canes, absolutely stunning autumn colour. Um, and then it's also covered, even after it drops its leaves, in these fluorescent orange and yellow tic-tac-sized little seed pods in mm. small clusters. Really pretty uh, berberous. Um, but I've never seen it grown elsewhere. Like, a- And unfortunately, I think I mentioned last time I was on the garden I grew up in, which was planted in the early 18- 1870s. The people who have bought it recently has bulldozed the whole garden. Oh,
0: stop it! And
2: this is one of the things that was lost. This oh, Berberus. Well, so putting in a little slice of Versailles. Are they? I think it's a Paul Bangay garden. So it's uh, some nice box hedging and some birch trees. Maybe I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, the, this was one of the things. The only the only really important thing in that garden that was left is is a really rare Acer uh, a Japanese. Um, a, 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 I thought it was an Acer Mono, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, Don Tease had, had named it, and uh, I'm not as – well, I'm still worried that they'll cut that down as well, but I've just recently discovered that Don actually got some cuttings off it years ago okay. and has quite a healthy tree yeah. of it as well. Um, and I took – the previous owners let me take some cuttings of the Berberus, and out of about 200 cuttings, this is the only one that struck. So I've got oh. one plant off it. Um, well, that's a low so strife. probably the only one in the country well that's yeah. but but it's vulgaris it's meant to be common, and it's one of the edible ones too apparently it's it it's was it's used berries. as a, an edible berry oh. in Europe yeah and no seedlings no seedlings ever off it uh, but I don't get any seedlings off any of my berberis really um darwinia is the only one that seems to seed yeah, anywhere locally yeah. um but yeah none of the others seem to um but yeah anyway, Species so
0: name for something that doesn't seem to propagate that easily
2: yeah. Like, and it might have just been me doing it the wrong time of the year because I literally had access yeah, to it, okay. and it's like, okay, I'm going to take as much as possible, yeah. and I'll do it in a few different techniques, and hopefully, I'll get something. And yeah. I did; I got one plant.
0: <laughs> it's so um, the destruction of that garden. I hear I hear that quite often mm-hmm. that people come in and they don't. It often looks like a messy old garden. These places, and people obviously think, oh, we'll just you know, but bulldoze it and make something I don't think.
2: I don't think they think.
3: (laughs) Because there (laughs) can be so many botanical treasures. Like, and even if you just look at transplanting or do a whole lot of propagation, you can retain these beautiful plants in the new design.
0: Or call up the 3CO gardening show and, like, Craig, Stephen, Greg will come and collect cuttings so that these plants and these it, It's also varieties about – I mean, eat.
2: this, this yeah. garden was planted by the head nurseryman of one of the largest nurseries in the Southern Hemisphere at the time.
0: That's a shame on the real estate agent and the people that advertise that for not making a point of that because yeah. that's quite significant. It, 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 yeah, the house. Yeah.
2: Well, there was National Trust trees in that garden too which were removed oh, and there's, there's just no sting to it. Oh, that stupid. would have been part of the budget. Like, you know, if you're going to yeah. spend $3 million 100%. on doing a property oh, arm, yeah. what's a $10,000 fine or whatever it is from the National Trust? And no one would know anyway. There's no – so there was uh, – act- out of all the plants in the garden, one of the things on the National Trust was some variegated box hedges which weren't that impressive considering what else was in the garden. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and they're gone. And, yeah, it's it, it's the – as you say that most people would look at that garden and think the history of it's Mm. what's important about this place. Mm. Um, And the, you know, uh, the house is the same age. So it's a very old weatherboard house, but if something happened to the house, you could put something back that looked like that house and you wouldn't know from the outside, but you can't do the same. You can't do the same with a rhododendron that's 45 feet tall and 60 feet long. Mm. Once you've, Run a, a an excavator over it and mosh it into the ground, or Lily the valley, tr- uh, the Cithra Arborea that had trunks on it nearly a metre thick, um, and uh, you know the whole front of the house was carried covered in lapiduria rosea. It's all gone, and this beautiful berberus, and so many other things, and not necessarily rare things, mm. just old things that. Um,
0: not the most positive note to finish the show. No, on this I'm sorry morning, about that, but,
2: but it is a lovely berberus. So hopefully um, I might give this one to Craig if he's interested and if he can get a cutting out of it. Um, and, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, any, any tradespeople that want cuttings off it, I'm more than happy to get it out there because it would be a shame for if mine got lost yep. that there wouldn't be any more uh, of such a beautiful big Berberus. Um, yep.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you all for your time. Thanks to Greg Boulderston, Craig Wilson, and Jack Semler, author of Super Bloom, for those people who'd been asking. Have a lovely Sunday, everyone, and we'll be back again at 7.30 next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast, produced in the studios of Independent Community Radio Station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to all crorgau